0: Welcome to episode 13 of Single Stock Spaces. Today, very happy to have Conor McGuire. He's going to break a lot of firsts uh, for the show. So it's going to be the first time we have an Irish individual as a guest. Uh, it's going to be the first time we're trying this at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, And, uh, and, and let's see, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely be our first pitch in the, in the titanium uh, dioxide space. So uh, really excited to have you. Uh, I've I've been a subscriber uh, of your Substack, which is really thoughtful. Uh, you do great deep dives, and you keep you know you keep folks updated uh, after you do the deep dives. So I've really been a, a huge fan of your work. Uh, so honored to have you today. Um, I'm just going to turn it to you, just to just if you can maybe give a, a tiny little background on yourself, and then we'll get right into the elevator pitch after that.
1: Great. Yeah, no, thanks uh, for, the, for the opportunity on this. Uh, and I've really enjoyed listening to the various spaces discussions you've, ha- you've had uh, so far. So, uh, you know, it's great to participate in one now. So uh, just by way, of brief background. So I'm based in Dublin, Ireland. I'm a former private equity and special sits investor uh, working out of Dublin uh, with a, a kind of a broad, had a broad mandate, working with one of the largest uh, alternative or private investment firms uh, globally. Um so more recently I've been uh working on this Substack venture uh where it's really just sharing uh public equity ideas that I think are interesting that are a kind of a, a combination of undervalued situations and uh with you know potential event driven um or other kind of special sits type characteristics. So um that's that's kind of at a high level that that that's my background so um and yeah then just on on Kenmare, i think it's a name that's really interesting um happy to kick kick off on that then if 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 you want
0: yeah let's go right into it what i what i've been trying to do is just share your one minute elevator pitch up front just to get everybody on the same page uh you know if they're not familiar with the name and just to orient everybody as to where the conversation is going
1: Great. Yeah. Okay. So here today to discuss Kenmare Resources, which is an Irish and and London listed uh, small cap stock in the mining space and specifically uh, mineral sands. So it's a market cap of about five hundred and sixty million euro and an enterprise value of about six hundred uh, uh, and forty five million Sorry, five hundred sixty million dollars and six hundred and fifty million dollars. It's currently trading at a last 12 months E V E would have multiple about 5x but on a forward multiple basis that's more like three to three and a half times uh, multiple and that compares to historic uh, kind of through the cycle average of around six times and peers multiples uh, publicly listed peer multiples of in the seven to eight times range Um. so if I was to boil the thesis for Ken down into kind of a a quick pitch, um, Kenmare is an overlooked uh, niche mining stock that's at an inflection point in terms of its kind of operational and earnings trajectory. So it after a 160 million three year CapEx program, it has uh, increased its production capacity by about 40 percent, uh, which means that it's effectively its EBITDA will double going forward compared to uh, FY20, the most recent year. Um, So in terms of the earnings inflection, that's point number one. Point number two would be its transition to a debt free balance sheet. Historically, this has been quite a leveraged company, given the capital intensive nature of of, of setting up their operations and uh, enhancing their their, their mine assets. So transitioning to a net cash position in, uh, in 2022. Um. Thirdly, and I think a key part of the thesis is that it owns a, a unique and very valuable asset in the Moma uh, Titanium Minerals mine in Mozambique. This is a strategic asset with a hundred year plus mine life, um, and it, it, it's a, it's a fairly unique asset in the in the mineral sand space, um, and it's from with this mine asset, Kenmare is the third or fourth largest uh, mineral sands or titanium uh, uh, related mineral sands produced in the world and the largest uh, producer of ilmenite, which is um, a key uh, titanium uh, mineral sand that I'll, I'll expand on uh, later. Um, in terms of the market setup it, it's pretty favorable it, like, like a lot of kind of commodity markets currently the um you know the 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 kind of the the market that kenmare operates in is characterized by low inventories um constrained supply and ongoing supply disruptions but against the backdrop of rising demand from a number of sources so that's obviously firstly with covid and the the reopening of economies and the increase in economic activity demand is rising again Um, and interestingly prices for kenmare's commodities kept rising through 2020 into 2021 um, and then, in in terms of kind of wider uh, themes that are supportive of uh, the outlook for for um, products, is the infrastructure spending, aircraft travel, uh, and air, aircraft produ- uh, construction. Um, and and really, what what that why they're relevant in terms of those those growth uh, as growth drivers is that. Um, ilmenite, which is Canmera's key uh, mining product, is a, a key ingredient or, or, or um, mineral in the production of pigment. So about 90 percent of titanium dioxide um, is used in, in pigment production and ilmenite is an essential uh, ingredient in, in, in the manufacture of pigment. And um, then in terms of that's kind of the, a very high level kind of, uh, kind of view of the, of the market backdrop. And then in terms of valuation, it's just fundamentally cheap, as I mentioned at the top of the the, the, um, the discussion. So it's trading at, you know, sub four XE, but uh, um, uh, whereas, you know, peers are kind of seven to eight times. And recent private market transactions also uh, are are in the kind of the seven to nine times multiple
2: Um
1: and and what's interesting as well is that is mentioning private markets there is that Kenmare historically has been a takeover target, and I think just given its its transition now in terms of its its balance sheet, its earnings inflection, um and and the kind of the, the favorable uh, market backdrop, um you know I I think it's very plausible that it could come into play again and a strategic acquirer could 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 bid to take it out, so that's sorry, that's probably more than a minute or two of an elevator pitch, but that, that's kind of at a high level um the 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 kind of the, the thesis here. And then in terms of the kind of the, the returns, I think, you know, I, I see this stock potentially as a double um you know over the next two to three years. Uh, in terms of as, as it ramps, uh, as it fully ramps production now, and and you know, I think I, I'm still I'm updating my model for um, the recent kind of Q4 results, which are which are due to come out soon. But you know, th- this potentially is a at a 200 million EBITDA business uh, by 2023, uh, which would bring the multiple effectively down to kind of you know 2x, which just seems too cheap for you know a, a debt-free. Uh, mining business that produces an essential commodity product with a very valuable strategic asset. Um, and just I suppose as another point on the valuation, the uh, you know that the, the have invested over a billion dollars worth in, in the MoMA mine. Um and as I said it, it has a hundred year life and uh you know it's trading currently on an enterprise to invest a capital basis of about 0.65 times, which is effectively a distressed uh valuation um in line with what um in, in line with the bids that it received and that which was rejected back in twenty fifteen from a peer when they they tried to opportunistically take it out uh, at a down point in the in the previous cycle
0: so Connor, a quick question the is this another you know is this another stock where the market has you know i mean you've been on a lot of the spaces in the past, and so there's there's a fair amount of similarity between different commodities where it feels like what the market is really saying is, look, the price of, let's see, the price of Illmanet, uh is very high, uh, and I'm really skeptical about where that's going. And hence, you know, I'm going to put absolutely no multiple or a very low multiple on current earnings. Does this fit within that box? Or would you make, you know, small distinctions?
1: Uh, versus- yes, I, I I, I, would I would think one of the reasons why I would see this as mispriced um, is, you know, it's the question is that, you know, it's the classic, you know, low multiple means peak earnings, um, you know, for a commodity stock. And the question is, is this business at, uh, at at an inflection, and so earnings are going to be structurally higher going forward, or uh, is it just you know is it have they just been riding the kind of the you know the supply chain constraint and kind of boom in commodity prices recently post COVID? And I think just to give provide a good bit of context, previously in the previous cycle, uh, IL, ilmenite prices currently are about two hundred and eighty two dollars, probably approaching three hundred dollars a metric ton. Um, uh, and previously, um, you, you know, the previous peak, they were well over three hundred dollars a ton. So we're still, you know, we're still a decent bit below the previous peak. But what you also had during the previous peak, which we don't have now, is there was a huge increase in Ilmanite production, mining and production in, in China. Um, and Ilmanite is is a byproduct of iron ore Mining and in the previous boom, you had a lot of domestic Chinese production, which ended up on the market. This time round, you don't have that. Um, Ch- China have been importing a lot of iron ore; they're they're not producing the same amount, um, and so that byproduct excess capacity or excess supply issue isn't in this market. Um, and in fact, the demand from China for ilmenite, uh, and in particular for Kenmare's particular grade of ilmenite, is rising. Um, so I, I think, you know, when you look, when you step back and look at where prices are, um, their prices are continuing to rise because of, you know, rising demand, constrained supply. Um, and and you don't have that feature of the market that was there in the previous cycle, which I think is, is supportive of, of prices holding where they are.
0: Can I ask on the iron ore angle? Is that is it a byproduct of all iron ore mining, or or a small subset of iron ore mining?
1: Um, I, I'm I, I'm 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 not 100% sure in terms of which particular type of iron ore. But I I my understanding is that it it is um it, 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 I think it's a, a general um, byproduct.
0: Okay, yeah, I was a little confused on that just because in the company presentation, they discuss you know global market share, and I didn't see vale, for example. um so i was i was I was trying to sort out um what's going on there. So, Connor, I think it's a good jumping off point. I really did want to uh, kind of do a deep dive on Ilmanite itself, uh you know, kind of the high level questions like what does the global cost per look like? Uh, you've kind of touched on it, but just I want to understand, um, you know, pricing now, you know, maybe particularly refer to kind of what happened during COVID, what the current supply demand balance looks like and how that could change in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, in terms of uh, we're maybe talking about the cost curve first. So, uh, you know, and, and again, this is one of those industries where unlike, you know oil or some of the other commodity markets where uh you know there's no futures markets there's no um you know pricing is 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 a bit more opaque than um it, some other commodities in terms i mean the key metric to look at in, ter- in this industry uh is, is the revenue to cash cost uh ratio um and, and the top producers in the space, which would be two Australian or sorry, the, the, in terms of the, the at that top end of the cost curve. Uh and so the most efficient producers are Aluka um resources and base resources in Australia, and they're at about a two and a half times revenue to cash cost ratio. So, uh, Kenmare is at about two times, and it's rising up that curve because, uh, and, and the reason how the curve works is that the, these mines, once they're they're fully set up, and remember, Kenmare have been expanding their mine over the last three years as part of their ramping up uh, capacity. But the, the, the opex costs are relatively fixed, so once you know, w- once you boost your, your production capacity, um, you know, the unit costs drop. Uh, across your, your, you know, across your higher production uh, number of units. So, Kenmare are approaching. Uh, the, I mean, the top quartile. Their target is between two is between two and three times revenue to cash cost. And so, Kenmare are kind of at the two now. And with with, with the with the production now expanded, going into FY20. 22, the expectation is that, that they'll rise up, up that curve in line uh, with the other producers. So they'll be a top tier producer in terms of the the, um, the cost curve.
0: And walk me through any, any particular, I mean, every commodity had its own COVID story, but anything, you know, anything worthy of discussing from a supply demand perspective, uh, you know, in, in just in terms of bottlenecks and and where we are today.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, on COVID, obviously, uh, the supply chain constraints, probably one of the main major issues, but, you know, they had that site mine shutdowns. So not just Ken now, but across the industry with, you know, COVID cases and and, and so on. But what's also happened is that, um, you know, and it's probably useful maybe just to take a step back in in terms of talk about the, the, the competition. So, there's only really, outside of domestic Chinese producers, which are, you know, again, as I said, they're kind of byproduct uh, producers. Um, Outside of those, there's only really kind of four producers. And Kenmare probably now having having expanded their, their capacity among the top three. So you've got Rio Tinto, Iluca Resources, Kenmare Base Resources. They'd be the, 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 the top four um, Tronox maybe as well, um, but th- they don't break out their capacity, but they're, they're in and around. So they're, they, you know, they probably round out the top five. Um, and so the, um, the, the, sorry, just one second. Sorry. Um, just in terms of the, the, um, then the constraints then. So, um, Aluka, who are one of the major producers uh the, the number two probably outside of uh, after rio um they have a they have a, a mine in south africa which is where operations were actually shut down because of uh, violence and un- unrest in that area and um, so that that's been an inconsistent producer they've only really reopened that mine recently um the other other producers have been fairly stable. Kenmare too, uh, you know, has traded well through COVID as as base. So in terms of demand, has been pretty constant. So they, they've actually managed their operations pretty well in that context. Uh, in terms of trying to meet demand, prices have risen. They've managed costs. And within all of that as well, it's probably worth noting that Kenmare um, we're also relocating one of the uh, one of their main pieces of plant equipment, which processes the um, the, the, the 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 raw material, the the, the mineral uh, mineral ore that's that's mined. So they were completing that move at the same time as managing through COVID. So you know, I think that that's been a pretty impressive job on that front. Um, so in, in terms of uh, the disruption. there has been some disruption, but not major disruption. And, and, you know, if I was to point to to who's really been negatively impacted by it, it's probably more um, LUCA, which uh, the larger peer, which uh, probably have had more issues on that front. And that's for, um, you know, local, um, you know, uh, I suppose local uh, society issues really rather than anything else.
0: Understood. So walk me through... You know, I'm sure the, the, the big risk for folks that are new to the name is look, sing, you know, single asset in Mozambique. How did you get comfortable, or at least how did you frame, uh, you know, the country risk here?
1: Yeah, so there's probably two. There's two elements to that. One is, I suppose that you know, the, the general political risk. Um and you know the the I suppose interaction with l- local government and you know what's the risk that there's some kind of you know sweeping move and suddenly they don't have a mine anymore. So, kenmer have been in in Mozambique since 1987. They have a fairly long, well established working relationship with the government, and um, they actually have a local uh kind of a it's a non profit organisation that invests in the local community. Um, you know they've built housing uh. Uh, clinic, healthcare clinics um school buildings and so on so you I mean they they've invested millions of dollars in the local economy uh, to support uh the the area around moma where the mine is located and and the communities that live there they pay they pay tax and royalties in mozambique uh so they you know the, the government gets you know that the tax rate there is at 35% uh so that you know the the, the government are also uh, you know benefiting from the employment the investment, and then the obviously the, the the tax revenues off the mining operations there um so that so i think you know on, on that front i think they've been pretty they've been pretty good uh in how they've managed that and i think that that's given me you know a pretty strong degree of comfort on that front and then separately um which usually comes up on earnings calls with management is that to the north of mozambique about 700 miles away from where Moma is there has been uh, kind of what's been called an insurgency with um, Islamic militants, um, and that's been that, that's been confined to that area again, which is which is you know 700 kilometres away, and you know there's been kind of um, further uh, you know I- improvements in that situation with kind of you know the security and government forces and and, and other um, allied forces kind of helping to, to quell that. So that hasn't really impacted operations it's it, 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 it's it's far away it's, it's very far away from where the mine is and it's been confined to that that region for quite some time so um so in terms of political and country risk they'd be the two main issue, issues um and i think you know from you know i think um the the government one in particular the government relationship one i think is, is pretty solid is pretty strong so i think there's, there's good comfort in that
0: so the thirty five percent tax rate has that been pretty flat for a long time? And did anything change with, with really any of the financial arrangements during, let's say, the last bull market in the commodity?
1: Uh, well, no. The, I think the, originally the tax rate was thirty two or thirty three percent, and then it rose. I think I, in the last number of years up up, up to thirty five. So it's actually gone up marginally since then. Um, and and um, and sorry, your second question then was.
0: Just if anything changed in the last bull market, uh, you know, the last time pricing was strong, um, was there anything outside of tax rate that was, you know, a, a pseudo tax rate? Uh,
1: no, I mean, the other piece is, is royalties, and they pay a kind of a flat, their a standard 3% royalty on production to the government as well. I think that's been uh, fairly constant.
0: Okay, okay, understood. So, Connor, you know, you mentioned the possibility of M&A. What I want to understand is, you know, how much of the thesis is about that M&A potential uh, versus simply, look, this is an inexpensive stock. And, you know, if it's more of the latter, what is the story? Is it capital return? Is it buybacks or dividends? Uh, Walk me through kind of how you split up that pie.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I mean, the primary thesis here is that you know the, the company, I suppose, has matured, and as I said, it's kind of reached that transition point where, uh, you know, it, it, it's our, it has fully ramped its capacity now, that, uh, and so it warrants a re-rating uh, for the improved earnings outlook and free cash generation, um, as well as it's you know it's it is soon to be debt-free based on on the cash it's generating. And so uh, it's hitting fifty percent EBITDA margins, which is quite strong and in line with um actually slightly stronger than the Pierre Luca, which is at I think about seven, seven to eight times EBITDA. So uh, when you combine that that change in fundamentals with the value of its asset, again, it's a one billion dollars plus of invested capital behind it versus a you know a six hundred and fifty uh, million enterprise value. Um, you know that that the, the, that that's the primary driver of, of the re-rating. Uh, I'd say the primary catalyst here is the re-rating. Uh, in addition to that, they've tripled their dividend uh, in in this year, and uh, they've completed a share tender offer where they bought back about thirteen and a half percent of the uh, total shares outstanding. So they it, it all told in the year just gone, FY21, they've returned almost a hundred million of capital to shareholders, and that's while they were completing this uh you know expansion capacity expansion program and, and and ramping production so um you know i think that 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 that, that that's the main driver um you know th- this asset as well i should say is you know if they're one of the one of the top 3 producers globally and it probably provides now something like 10% of the global uh, titanium feedstock uh Supply, so you know. It, it, again, it's a pretty important strategic asset, and it 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 just doesn't make sense that it trades this cheaply, especially when the outlook is so supportive for um for its commodity products. And um, so that that that's the re-rating is is the primary uh, catalyst in my view. But I think the the M angle or the takeover angle is um is is very plausible as well. In that you know, as I said, it was previously a target uh two with two bids previously from maluka resources and um, the c e o came out in twenty nineteen i think and when there were further rumors of another takeover offer and you know it said you know that that, that, that was that there weren't in any discussions um, but I think now that it's it's transitioned um to, you know in terms of its fundamentals, I think it makes a very attractive target, particularly when you look at the valuation um and I suppose just a recent Data point, you know that that's relevant here is that Apollo um have bid for Tronox, which is uh, has its own uh, mineral sands mining uh, facilities. It's also kind of a chemicals company as well. Um, but you know that 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 company is vertically integrated, um, and just with growing pigment demand, um, you know it makes sense for a lot of the larger, you know, pigment and and, and chemicals companies to to integrate. And if, you know, an asset like this, which is, you know, you know, 100 years supply of, of Ilmanite, um you know, it makes it a very attractive target.
0: So if a company like Aluka were to go down the M&A path, how would you see, what's the industrial logic? I, I, I'm just thinking it's probably a little bit less synergies, right? Just because it's a very discreet mine, you know, far away from where Aluka operates, you know what what would that pitch look like in terms of you know uh w- why that company should do do a deal i'd say
1: well it, it may not necessarily be that company but it, for 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 in Aluka's case so Aluka, again is a mineral sands miner but ilmanite is one of the smaller of the uh, one of the smaller categories it's ma- Il- mainly um, mines for zircon and uh, rutile uh, and so Ilmanite is uh, i suppose it, it has the least um exposure production capacity uh, in in the ilmenite category so you know similar to their logic before when they tried to acquire it in 2014 and 2015 it would they have they have a small Ilmanite production rel, small relative to Kenmare's uh, capacity uh, so it would complement what they've got across the the kind of the the uh, you know the titanium minerals um uh, category of uh, 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 um you know and i think uh that that would be the the the
0: logic there okay understood so connor this is probably a bit of a difficult question because i don't think there's a huge analyst uh, community covering this stock but where would you say you're most different from consensus expectations
1: well i think there's this i think three analysts covering the stock so you know it, it is relatively overlooked i mean the the analysts uh you know the consensus seems to be for you know ebitda of 170 to 200 million uh in for fy 21 into fy 22. um you know i i would agree with that that's kind of what i'm i'm getting in my model is about 200 million so i think um you know, it's not so much that the consensus thinks one thinks one way in terms of the other analysts, and the uh, and I think another. I mean, I think it's more the market is missing this. It doesn't, it it hasn't picked up on this because it's a it's an Irish small cap, uh, you know, in, in a in an obscure niche sector of the of the mining industry. Um, so I think that that would be my my view on consensus. Uh, I think you know, two hundred million in EBITDA. It makes sense in terms of where the costs, the cost curve is, and where the price of ilmenite is going. So, um, you know that that that's kind of my my take on it.
0: Those analysts that cover the stock, what do they generally cover outside of Kenmare? Are they are they resources analysts, or do they you know are they just their banks have a relationship with Kenmare? What's what's sort of the General
1: background. Uh, with the, the the house broker, uh, to Kenmare is would cover kind of real estate, uh, and uh, as well as Kenmare, so kind of a- asset backed. Um, you know, Kenmare is a bit of an anomaly in terms of the Irish uh, market. I mean, it's 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 a uh, you know th- there aren't too many mining companies uh, listed in Ireland, um, and then the one of the other brokers I I, I does cover the kind of the mineral sands or you know. Uh, mining space it covers a number of other names but uh, some of the other names will be you know smaller cap maybe more speculative pre-production
0: okay understood so walk me through i mean obviously there's a long operating history at this mine what if there were to be um you know production issues what a have they had you know has this has this company had uh, a history of production issues um and kind of walk me through maybe the characteristics of the mine that make it either more or less likely. Well,
1: I think yeah, I mean there has there has been uh there, there has been some production uh issues in terms of kind of production interruption for things like uh you know, maintenance, um, you know, the the having to stop plants to to kind of uh, um you know, to 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 fix them, or if they, if there's been some kind of downtime due to kind of, you know, like these are very heavy duty, um, intensive production processes where they they mine the ore and then they they separate it in these plants called wet concentrator plants or WCPs, uh, and that separates it out, out the, the 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 mineral sands from kind of you know silica and other uh, byproducts that just aren't that aren't aren't used or aren't um, you know commercialized. Um. So that there have been things like, uh, so so kind of maybe at times heavier maintenance than uh, than expected, and then um things like you know power interruption, um. But the company has worked uh on that. So I think ninety percent of the the mine is powered by hydropower now, um. And they're also this in this year they're they're working on a um kind of a a a capex project for about eighteen million dollars to improve the uh. The, the 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 I suppose the reliability of the power supply. So they've been the two the maybe the two notable issues in terms of production interruption. But in saying that, I mean, when you look at production, they they, they have you know they they have enhanced or increased production um, and grown you know revenues and EBITDA steadily over the last, last number of years. So you know to the you know while these are interruptions or have been interruptions, they're not show stoppers that derail operations.
0: And so the, those sorts of capital projects, I think you said, I think you said 16 million. Um, that, that's basically that's within, I, I guess, a maintenance capex bucket. What, what is the the ongoing maintenance capex now that they're done with this uh, 160 million dollar uh, program? Yeah, so
1: there's there's two uh, there's two kind of elements of capex here. So the ongoing maintenance uh, is for this year will be 33 million, and then that'll step down to about 20 to 25 million. Uh, going forward, so that's based from from the latest kind of uh, company updates. So you know, that, again, that's you know, call it thirty million relative to EBITDA of one hundred and eighty to two hundred million now, and um, so that's on the that's on a on a kind of a sustaining or maintenance capex level. Then, separate to that, there is one further piece of uh, capex, a major capex problem that they will have to implement between uh, now next year and twenty twenty five, where they. Uh, that's a $127 million program where they're moving one of their wet concentrator plants to another part of the mine where there's higher grade ore and so uh, more valuable uh, ilmenite. So um, you know so that that is a major program i have that in, in, in the model and um but why you know that's a major move but it, it really it's just repeating what they already achieved in 2019 into 2020 with the, which was the the final step in the in the previous capex program to increase uh, their capacity so um, capacity is not going to be interrupted with this next with this next uh, uh, capex program um you know they're, they're basically doing what they've already achieved already on time and on budget. So, um, you know, I, I don't foresee any issues with that.
0: Okay. We have a question from Gary.
2: Hey, Connor. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I really like the pitch. Hey, um, I had a couple of questions on, uh, the commodity supply, demand backdrop. So, you know, if you look at what's going on in oil, a narrative you might hear is that, um, for years, since 2014, 2015, we started underinvesting in oil uh, in the U.S. And, the, um, and some of the non-U.S. Um, countries have done the same. And so now we've we've set up the stage for a supply crunch. And so the oil price should be, you know, higher than it has been in the last uh, five years or so. Uh, is there something similar going on with Ilmanite where there's just been an underinvestment and that set up a supply crunch, so we have years of of a high commodity price ahead of us.
1: Yeah, no, that, that there is a similar dynamic going on here. So yeah, so inventories have been run down, and uh, you know, there's in addition to the supply disruptions that you know uh, COVID made worse, there has been a constrained supply. So um, you know, the the Chinese over, you know, the 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 the, the, the excess supply that came from Chinese mining, and uh, you know, that was a byproduct that that is not. Happening this time round, um, and so there isn't that excess supply kind of uh, there to flood the market, um, and then also against that, you know, you've got um the other the other major producers here, Iluca, Rio Tinto, uh, you know, they have three uh, titanium dioxide or titanium mineral mines, and base resources. None of those operators are increasing their capacity. Canmara are the only major producer that have increased their capacity. And they're done now in terms of they're not going to they're going to maintain their run rate of about one point two million of nameplate not one point two million tons nameplate capacity going forward. So, um, you're right uh, to say that there has been un- well I suppose it's not that there has been hasn't been uh, under investment. It's just that investment has kind of stayed disciplined now at this point, and the. The, the kind of that byproduct issue coming out of China isn't there anymore. So, but against that, you've got the backdrop of rising demand in terms of infrastructure spending. You know, um, you know, if you look at Boeing and Airbus, are both increasing aircraft uh, production over the next ten years. I know that's a big, you know, that's a big source of demand for um, pigment. And ilmenite is the obviously one of the essential um, commodities going into pigment. So that that's, um, I think, that tightness. And supply is, for the foreseeable future, is going to be there. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, that's great. So a, a disciplined supply backdrop met with increasing demand should lead to, to sustained high pricing. That that makes sense to me. Um, I could ask another. You know, one of the things um, T-Webs has highlighted with some of the coal stocks is that they're hated, they're low multiple, even though the underlying commodity price is high. And no one's paying attention to them. And, the, and one way to make money on the stocks is to have the cash. Uh, just, just come back to shareholders so you don't have the multiple re-rate. You don't need people to care about the stock. For Ken Mayer, are you counting on people starting to discover the stock and the multiple re-rates? Um, are there other ways to win where you just start receiving enough cash um, from the operations over yeah, time? Yeah, I think
1: it's a combination of re rate
2: if if a takeover doesn't
1: transpire, yeah, I think it's a re-rate, uh, and then you know supportive actions from management in terms of you know as I said they they returned close to a hundred million in in um, in capital to shareholders in in FY21 through uh, you know a, a large buyback uh, and and also tripling their their dividend. So. You know, I think with, with um, the other point is in terms of, I suppose, in comparing this to coal, coal for ESG reasons, obviously, is is um, people just won't touch it. Kenmare, I don't think belongs. I'm not saying it's a you know, it's a it's a it's a green stock. But it, it the perception around coal, I don't think applies to, to Kenmare in the same sense in that, you know, they're, they're powered 90 percent by hydropower. Uh, so that's a sustainable energy source. You know, they're on the ESG front. They're doing lots there in terms of local community investments that, you know, they, they have a, a pretty credible ESG, uh, ESG credentials there. So I don't think the, you know, the hate that the coal stocks receive, uh, you know, is, is equally applicable to Kenmare. Um, sure. So I think that's one distinction to make.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally fair, and I didn't mean to try to paint Kenmare uh, in the same brush as a full company. Uh, I think I was just getting at is that the opportunity is that it is underfollowed and and no one's paying attention. And exactly, yeah. if it's going to re-rate, if, if it's going to re that situation needs to change. And so maybe it's you know getting on spaces and getting the word out <laughs> and people start paying attention. Um, a man yeah. can dream. Yeah,
0: that, that's it for me. Thanks, Connor.
1: No problem. Thanks, Gary.
0: So uh, as, as Gary was speaking, I did want to just get more color. They bought back 13% of shares. What, what was the backstory there? I think it was in one fell swoop. Was was there, was that a block or, or what was the back? Correct.
1: Yeah, it was a block. So I suppose, again, maybe just to provide a little bit of context here. So can shareholders have been, um, you know, I suppose in one sense long suffering in that it's taken a number of years for them to get to, for the company to get to this point in terms of, you know, getting through all that, that, Capex program, uh, and and getting ramping production to where it is now. So I suppose management were quite keen to, I suppose, reward shareholders for 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 staying with them, and and uh, so that the tender offer was for, um, it was about 14.8 million shares, so about 13.5% of the company. Um, and you know the two things on that. Firstly, obviously that they have the resources in the balance sheet to be able to do that now because of the earnings and cash generation uh, inflection point that they've hit with, with the increased capacity. Um, th- so that's I mean that that's one and number two, I think that I mean the fact that they were you know doing that and deploying that cash, they still have net debt at the moment of about eighty eighty odd million dollars. Um, so, you know, I suppose that that signals confidence in in what they're seeing in pricing and pr- I mean they talk about pricing momentum continuing into Q on this year. M&I prices were up thirteen percent in Q four alone, and they're saying that that momentum has continued into Q one this year, off the back of demand from from pigment producers. So, they're obviously seeing, um, you know, that, that 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 I suppose that signals good visibility to 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 cash generation, um, as well. So, um, you know, I think uh, that 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 was really the rationale for the buyback, um, and again, it, it create it unlocks some value after you know, a period of time where the the shares were really um, had languished for some
0: time. It's actually a very interesting signal because across a lot of different commodity spaces, you know, you're at an inflection point where capital returns are about to accelerate because things are so great. But but Kenmare put, you know, they kind of put their neck on the line a bit more uh, because that's, you know, that's sizable that's really making a bet on the company now obviously it's more complicated than just making a bet on the company or making a statement about their outlook but but it's it's interesting that that makes to me that makes them stand apart a bit from from, from some of the other uh sub-sectors so so that's definitely notable
1: yeah and i think just another point i just add just i think it's worth making in that context as well is the in terms of signaling about you know how they're seeing the cash generation flow through now that they've ramped production uh, and given where prices are, and they're talking about pricing momentum increasing, so a lot of their their contracts with customers are, you know, they they they're they're, uh, they're contracted prices, so they lock in prices for one to three years, uh, I think five years in some instances. And so when you when you think about that contracting, uh, you know, and you're talking about, you know, even one of their uh, one of the major um, titanium uh mineral producers tronox is also a customer of of kenmare for their ilmenite. uh so when you when you think about that and the constrained supply the growing demand and producers you know needing to buy up and ensure security supply to meet uh that and they're signing up to these contracts at currently rising prices uh, i think that's also supportive of you know uh, sustaining kind of cash or EBITDA where, where where it seems to be now around that kind of you know 200 million EBITDA mark
0: right right so i i do want to just go back to something to make sure that i understood really because i think it's important so if you look at a long-term stock chart let's say on this company it's, you know it looks really bad they had challenges many years ago obviously we're in a different market now but I just want to make sure my perception is correct. Was the biggest thing really hurting this company and Ilmanite? This byproduct from China was essentially costless, for lack of a better term. Is, is that fair? And can we just dive in one more time on, on why the forward look is, is different? Uh, just because I, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, the China situation can be a bit opaque. So I just want to really dive. To, I know we've discussed it already, but I, I just kind of want to come back to it and make sure that my understanding is, is correct. Yeah. So uh, previously,
1: in the previous cycle, when prices were high off the back of a kind of a construction and mining boom, kind of in the in the you know through kind of which kind of peaked, I think in two thousand eleven, twelve, in the case of these particular commodities, um, you know, the excess supply that came out of that then came onto the market. I wouldn't say it's valueless, but it dragged prices down uh, by sixty percent from from previous pre peak prices in 2012 so that that you know but that that also coincided with a wider decline across the broader commodity uh, space where you know prices just after the kind of the early 2000s boom uh post 2012 um you know commodity prices fell uh across the board uh and so that excess supply uh, issue you know was no different in this industry and um, so that's really what what dragged down um you know the price you know the commodity price dropped materially at a time when Kenmare hadn't fully ramped production and you know the, you know this is a high fixed cost based business but once you get to a certain point then it inflects. and so they 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 hadn't got to that point and then the market went down because of that um that Chinese uh, you know byproduct issue let's call it um <clears throat> So sorry, does that address the first part of your question, or do you need more detail? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and then just for the forward-looking piece, I guess.
1: Yeah, so forward-looking, as I said, I mean, you know, the 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 main producers now are not increasing capacity. Kemar are the only ones that have, and again, you know, that the, you know, it's a you know, it, it's a sensible level of capacity that they that they run now, whereas we're not, you know, you're not seeing that um Other excess capacity, capacity, or um, you know, you know, uh, byproduct increases coming elsewhere because you know the um because you know when you look at kind of what's happening in China now at the moment, I mean the you know Chinese steel making has uh, has dropped, iron ore mining uh, activity has dropped, and so you're not you're just not going to have you know that if that's that that's happening now, you're not going to have that um you know uh that excess supply coming on stream, and you've got the energy crisis as well, you know, which has, you know, curbed production in China because of energy usage and, and pollution and so on, as well. So there just there isn't the opportunity, uh, for that that excess supply to to materialize and find its way onto the market this time.
0: That makes sense. The, I, I assume the hydro, the fact that we're hydro powered here is just uh, it's a it's a quirk. And something is it is it totally unique globally uh to well Canberra? i think it's it's related to the location of this particular mine uh
1: near i think it's near the coast of mozambique uh so you know it just it makes sense to use that 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 uh, as an energy source here and it it um it, it's lower cost for the company
0: yeah no i'm just trying to think through globally i i assume this is the <laughs> on a uh, this is probably pretty far afield, but on a relative ESG basis, I assume if 90% of your power is hydro, um, that's got to be a fair uh, – your your electricity, uh, the way you're powering the mine has to be a really large chunk of kind of the carbon footprint, right? I mean, what what else would I be missing? Outside? I guess there's trans- transport and that sort of thing. I'm just trying to think of what the relative ESG positioning looks like for this mine.
1: Yeah, and no, I, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not,
0: I, I mean, I don't know specifically. I mean, if I think about the
1: the three mines that Rio have and the the, the mines that Aluka operate, I, I don't believe they're using kind of the hydropower or sustainable energy to the same degree as this. I, I'm, I don't, I don't know, uh, hundred percent, uh, being frank, but, um, I, I, yeah, I think my 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 sense on this is that in terms of ESG positioning, Kenmare would be. compare pretty favorably to to its peers.
0: Okay, so so Connor, we said we'd try to keep it to an hour, so we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, So I wanted to ask two questions. One is... Is there, is there anything uh, that you really wanted, any point you really wanted to get across that, that we haven't broached as of yet?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I suppose, uh, maybe not,
0: not that we haven't broached it, but I,
1: I think a, a point to emphasize here is just really the, um, the uniqueness of what Kenmare owns. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a hundred year life mine. And I suppose just a relevant point, probably to the supply point we made earlier, was that the the other the other mines operated by, um, you know Iluka, uh and Base and others, I mean, are have my understanding is they're shorter lives, they're depleting, um, as well. So I mean, Kenmare owns a very unique asset here, um, that has you know over a billion dollars of capital invested in it, um, <clears throat> and it produces something that's essential to you know modern industry and economic growth so i think you know it 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 is niche and it's very unique and i think that's a big part of the value story here so that's just really a point to emphasize
0: okay that's that's really helpful tell me a little bit about the management and you know their background how you perceive they'll act you know assuming that your model plays out in the way that it does how they'll act with all these excess profits? How are they incentivized? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So I think I mean management. Um, I mean they've been they've been in this uh, company a long time. The CEO Michael Carvel has been CEO since I think 1987. So he's in this a long time. Um, and I think um, you know they they have you know they've been through you know a number of you know challenges. Um, and it's been a very volatile um, path in In terms of where they've gotten to today um but i think um you know i think they've they've managed through the various challenges as well i mean they they came close to bankruptcy um you know when you know and they obtained rescue financing back in 2015, 2016. so um you know that they've they've weathered weathered through uh you know the the previous commodity cycle and they're now really well positioned uh in a for pretty opportune Point in the in in this current cycle, um, so I think you know that they, they've proven uh, that they, they've they've proven themselves as as operators um, in terms of where they've gotten to, uh, you know, against that 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 kind of history, Um that they, they've proven that they are, you know, very cognizant of shareholder returns now and shareholder expectations. So in terms of you know the capital return program, increasing the dividends, their their shareholder friendly management team, um, and I think you know um yeah, I, I i so I, I think you know in terms of the management i i would have a you know a, a high opinion of them at this point um given given what they've achieved um and i think now they um you know they i think they recognize now that uh you know with the um you know with 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 kind of having gone through the expansion program they they're, they're ma- trying to maximize production to maximize free cash flow
0: what happens tomorrow if they if they tell the market that they've decided to uh i don't know diversify into copper well i yeah, I, I i'm making
1: a... no no i well, it's funny i mean kenmara started out as an oil exploration company and they went looking for um, oil prospects in various jurisdictions i like they even looked at gold in in sudan and you know that one of their part of their early Plan was to go into jurisdictions where maybe other other companies wouldn't go into for you know fear of you know political risk or, or 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 whatever else. Um, so you know they they have looked across the commodity you know the the commodity complex and you know they've um you know the, the they've you know they they discovered MoMA, um and they've really um delivered on it. So I, I don't see them diversifying into anything else. Uh, at this point, I just. It doesn't fit with what they're saying. It doesn't fit with the strategy. Um, You know, they've got a very discrete single asset that is, you know, a real cash generator now. So um, I think what they will do uh, is is return capital to shareholders, uh, which should help. You know, will support the stock, drive a re-rating, and and probably put it on the radar of uh you know another strategic acquirer if the market doesn't uh re-rate it appropriately
0: makes sense well i'll throw it back to you for for any last words this has been this has been really helpful
1: yeah no i think um i mean i i i just think it's a really interesting situation um you know and it's you know when when everyone is very Uh, you know, fixated on other commodities at the moment, oil, um, you know, uh, coal, natural gas, um, you know, even uranium now has has gained kind of traction among um, investors. But, you know, mineral sands, very niche, very obscure. And so that's why this is overlooked. And that's, I think, you know, a a big part of why this is mispriced. Um, But, you know, the thing is just, you know, in a similar manner to oil, I think you know the, the titanium feedstocks that um, Kenmare produces are essential. There's no, there's no economic or you know safe substitute for uh, for their usage in in paint and plastics and and, and the various other applications. So um, you know what this company produces matters for global growth and industry. So um, you know I think uh, I think that that's kind of worth emphasising as well.
0: That, that's a perfect place. And I, and I really appreciate it, Connor. I'll just reiterate one more time. Uh, your Substack is, I, I love your Substack. You're, you're writing about names that nobody else is talking about. So it's always a fun read, um, you know, and you do really comprehensive work. So very happy that you chose to join, um, valuesets.substack.com. If you don't already subscribe, you should, um, Thank you so much. And, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll I'll look forward to, to seeing you on future spaces and, uh, you know, keeping up on, on this name and, and all the others you're writing about.
1: Yeah, no, no, thanks very much. No, it's been a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. And I uh, no, really look forward to future spaces discussions. Um, so no, it's great. Thanks for your time.
0: Much appreciated. And thank you to everybody uh, on the East Coast who woke up early to, to dial in. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Take care, everybody.
2: Thanks.